Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with HowStuffWorks and iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And in our last episode, I traced how AOL became a dominant player in the dial-up online service provider business, leading to the incredibly ambitious merger with Time Warner to form AOL Time Warner. And I talked about how the dot-com crash and the rise of broadband dealt a double whammy of a blow to the brand new company, making the merger look like it was premature and wildly too expensive of a move for both companies. And I ended mentioning that Steve Case, the last remaining founder of AOL, stepped down from the board of directors in 2005. But not everything was dark and dismal for AOL in 2005. The company was being eyed with interest by some other big names in the tech sphere. There were stories that both Microsoft and Google were looking at AOL as a possible acquisition if they could convince the merged company to break up again. AOL had repositioned itself with a bit of a renaissance at the end of 2004. Many people were still using lots of AOL's services, including AOL Instant Messenger and MapQuest, which the company owned. The AOL.com website offered up the content that previously only AOL subscribers had been able to access, and it was all free. Well, I mean, it was, it was ad-supported, but you get what I mean. However, AOL was still making some really big business moves while things were looking uncertain, and that just made people kind of wonder what was going on. In 2004, the company had agreed to acquire a startup called Advertising.com, Inc., and I'm pretty sure you can guess what business that company was in. The division would get a rebranding in 2013 as AOL Networks, partly to send the message that services could span across different types of screens, not just computers, but televisions and phones and other devices. But executives over at the Time Warner side of this company weren't really head over heels in love with AOL. Before the merger, AOL's value was estimated to be somewhere in the $200 billion range. Yikes. After the dot-com crash, however, that value dropped to $5 billion, according to some accounts. Although, honestly, most accounts say the value was closer to $20 billion. But whether it's 5 or 20 both of which are enormous numbers, get, don't get me wrong, billion is a lot, that's such a huge drop from $200 billion. By 2005, the number, according to some sources, had climbed a little bit. It was moving in the right direction, but it was still a fraction of what AOL had been prior to the merger. At the time of the merger, AOL had the higher market capitalization between the two companies, but Time Warner was making way more revenue. So you can look at this as indicative of the whole dot-com problem in the first place. You had these internet-based companies that were valued much, much greater than what they could actually pay off in. They, they, their value was greater than their worth. And that was really the issue that led to the dot-com bubble bursting in the first place. The culture clash never settled down between the two companies. They weren't able to find a good equilibrium. The AOL executives felt their traditional media counterparts just didn't get how business on the internet worked. They were probably right. 
By the time Warner executives saw AOL as wasteful and filled to the brim with hubris, a company just was convinced that the way it did things was the right way, and that it was building a business on a product that was clearly on the way out, that being dial-up service. And the Time Warner executives were kind of right. No one was wholly in the wrong here, other than the fact that this partnership was wholly in the wrong. In fact, by 2003, just a few years after this merger, AOL Time Warner began to drop the AOL part from its name, came to just call itself Time Warner again. Keep in mind, AOL was the company that technically made the acquisition. It's technically the company that bought Time Warner. But now the collective entity was casually ignoring the online part of its identity. In 2005, AOL and Telepictures Productions, a division from Warner Brothers, would create TMZ. And if you're not aware of what that is, Consider yourself fortunate. It's a tabloid news website that's mainly focused on following celebrities around and publishing everything it can about those celebrities. It has been one of the more successful properties to come out of the AOL and Time Warner days. So I'm pretty snarky about the whole thing. I don't really like TMZ and the way they do business. However, I cannot deny that it's been a moneymaker. It has been very successful whether I like it or not. So, I mean, you know, they, they're they the ones who became really rich on it, so what do I know? In 2006, America Online officially changed its name to AOL. CEO John Miller said that the reason for this change was that getting America Online, would been, that had been the old mission of the company, to get America Online. So that's why it called itself America Online. But he said, the company did that. We've done that already. We achieved our goal. So this new name indicates the, quote, expanded mission to make everyone's online experience better, end quote. AOL had also changed in another way. It changed from a corporation into a limited liability company. Now, to get into the differences between an LLC and a corporation in the United States is more than a little beyond the scope of tech stuff. But it mostly has to do with how profits and losses are handled, and it also has to do a lot with how a company is taxed. So we're not going to dive into all that. I'm sure most of you don't really care. <laughs> and honestly, it gets pretty dull pretty fast. But the following year, AOL made another big change. It moved its headquarters, which had been in Dulles, Virginia, ever since the founding of the company. Now it was going to move to New York City. It also laid off about 2,000 employees, or about 40% of its entire workforce. This move was largely to refocus AOL on its advertising business as the dial-up side continued to dwindle, though it was still generating revenue at that point. This was 2007, and, and just for reference, 2007 was also when Apple introduced the iPhone. So the iPhone comes out, people are still using dial-up modems enough for AOL's division to be profitable. That's not the last time we'll talk about dial-up, though. Anyway, AOL's new headquarters were closer to Time Warner's HQ, and it was also much closer to the advertising world in general. The advertising world in the United States is almost entirely based out of New York City. So this was putting AOL close to where the advertising businesses thrived. 
AOL also would change CEOs. Jonathan Miller, who had been leading the company up to that point, was replaced by a guy named Randy Falco. AOL made some acquisitions, many of which did not turn out so well. So, for example, in 2008, AOL acquired a social networking site called Bebo. It's not that well known in the United States, but it was the second largest social network in the UK after Facebook back in 2008. Bebo could boast 22 million unique visitors, and they spent an average time of 40 minutes a day on the service, which sounds like a pretty attractive bargain. You can go to an advertiser and say, I can guarantee you that millions of people are going to look at this for 40 minutes every day, and you're going to be able to sell a lot of ads. So AOL would spend $850 million in cash on this acquisition. So how did it turn out? Not great at all. Now, you could argue that Bebo was on the same path of decline that AOL was. As, a, as broadband was becoming more popular, AOL's dial-up was dwindling. Well, Bebo was seeing its number of users dwindle. A lot of them were going to other social networking sites like Facebook. AOL was not able to capitalize on Bebo like executives had hoped. So just two years after buying the company, AOL would sell it to a digital media investor group called Criterion Capital Partners. And the price was much lower than the $850 million that AOL had paid for it. They sold it for $10 million. Three years after that, the original founders of Bebo were able to buy back their company from this investor group for just $1 million. So they sold it for $850 million, and then they bought it back for $1 million. Now, that's all a bit outside the scope of AOL, but I thought it was an interesting little tidbit, so I decided to include it. Plus, it's another way to illustrate how AOL was still making some pretty questionable choices, that the merger with Time Warner wasn't an outlier. I mean, it was an outlier in the sense of how big it was. $160 billion is an enormous outlier, but not an outlier in the sense of making some rash decisions that ultimately didn't pay off. Now, that's also not to say that every purchase AOL made was inherently bad. AOL bought lots of companies, dozens of them, in fact. Companies like Weblogs, Inc., that owns popular sites like Engadget and the former Joystick. There was Game Daily that AOL purchased, uh, Truvio. All of those made products or services that faced the public. AOL also bought companies like eVoice, uh, Info Interactive, and AdTech. Those were more business-oriented ventures, so not necessarily things that you and I would encounter, but other enterprises would. And AOL was never afraid of buying other companies in an effort to remain relevant or regain relevance, depending upon your point of view. But things between AOL and Time Warner would get less stable by the year. The cultures of the two companies still had not found a good meeting point. In March 2009, the company replaced CEO Randy Falco. The new leader for the AOL branch would be Tim Armstrong. Armstrong was coming from Google, where he had helped build the company's advertising division into a juggernaut. At the time, various industry journals reported that Armstrong had had aspirations of being a CEO of a company. He just hadn't quite settled on which company he wanted to go for. According to AdAge, his name was one of the ones that Yahoo was considering when it was searching for a replacement for their CEO and founder, Jerry Yang. 
But AOL would end up being his destination. And that was just the beginning for the big events of 2009. I'll explain more in just a second, but first, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. In May 2009, just two months after Tim Armstrong took the helm of AOL, the tumultuous pairing of AOL and Time Warner began the slow march to divorce. Time Warner said it would spin off AOL as an independent company later that year. In December of 2009, AOL shares would begin trading on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Time Warner executives said the reason for the split was that AOL was more likely to grow as a separate company than as part of Time Warner, and that AOL attracted different investors than Time Warner did. Time Warner would become a more lean and straightforward company as well, according to the wisdom of the time. And this was largely true. Time Warner, by the way, and I'll, again, have to do a full episode about this whole thing at some point, they would later spin off Time Incorporated in 2014. And in 2018, AT&T would move to acquire Time Warner, which is now called Warner Media LLC. By the time this episode airs, that should be finalized. But as I'm recording this, there's currently an appeal out on an earlier court ruling that permitted the merger. So you had one court say, yeah, that merger's fine. And AT&T and Time Warner were ready to make it a real deal. But then you had an appeal go out, and that appeal is still being decided as of the time I'm recording this episode. Between the announcement and the actual spinoff date, AOL would acquire another company called Patch Media. And Patch Media oversaw community news websites, so regional, local community news. It was also a company that was co-founded by Tim Armstrong, the leader of AOL. AOL would end up investing another $50 million in Patch in 2010. But in 2013, the company announced it would be reducing the number of Patch sites from 900 to 600. And also the company would be laying off staff at all levels of the organization. Armstrong also famously publicly fired Patch's creative director over a conference call on which all Patch employees were participating. Ugh. Armstrong would later apologize for this breach in etiquette. AOL would spin off Patch and sell off its ownership in 2014. In 2010, AOL purchased TechCrunch, a tech news site that was founded back in 2005. TechCrunch is still part of the overall company, though we'll get into how that company has changed in just a little bit. Also in 2010, AOL bought a young web hosting service called About.me, which had launched in October 2009. So it wasn't even a full year old when AOL bought it. About.me is meant as a sort of centralized personal web page, and it's meant to coordinate all the various online points of contact a person might have in one place. So their various social media accounts, email addresses, websites, all that kind of stuff. And that way, if you went to about.me and you searched for me, presumably you would find links to all the different ways that I have an online presence. And I can cultivate that. I can decide which ones I share and which ones I don't. And like Bebo, this acquisition ended up not being a great fit. Tony Conrad, who is one of the co-founders of about.me, was able to buy back majority ownership of the site from AOL in 2013. It had been two years and a month 
since AOL had bought the company. The details of the two business transactions, how much AOL paid for it and how much Conrad had to pay to get it back, were never made public. But Conrad did tell the New York Times that he paid a fraction of what AOL had paid for the company back in 2010. So once again, AOL buys a company and then sells it off at a fraction of what it paid for it once it realizes this wasn't a good fit after all. Seems to be a pretty common theme. In 2011, AOL made another big media acquisition when it bought the Huffington Post for about $315 million. Ariana Huffington, the founder of the Huffington Post, was named AOL content chief, and she held that position until 2016 when she would step down from AOL to concentrate on a new startup called Thrive Global. The Huffington Post acquisition was in February 2011. In April 2011, AOL would cut 900 staff from the Huffington Post. Now, that included 200 jobs in the United States and 700 jobs in India. Tim Armstrong told reporters that the company's goal was to move toward having 70% of AOL staff working in editorial or other content divisions. Like TechCrunch, the Huffington Post is still part of the overall company. Armstrong was guiding AOL to focus more on creating content and then advertising against that content, and it was working. As recently as 2010, internet subscriptions made up 40% of AOL's revenue. But with Armstrong's changes, that was shifting more toward revenue from advertising, which is good because, again, the dial-up service was not going to increase year over year. In 2013, the company posted its first revenue gains year-over-year since 2005. That meant the company was finally growing again from revenue. The company continued its course by acquiring a video ad company called Adapt.TV for $405 million. It actually was able to pull market share away from Google this way. And in 2014, AOL would post a $126 million profit. Also in 2014, AOL began to face pressure from investors to make another really big move. The pressure came from an American hedge fund called Starboard Value. The organization owns shares in numerous companies, including a 2.4% ownership of AOL, and it was using its stake to influence how those companies are run, which is something shareholders do all the time. You can vote because of your shares, although the amount of influence you can exert is based on how many shares you hold. If you hold one share and a company has millions of shares out in the market, your vote probably isn't going to make a whole lot of difference. Starboard is sometimes called an activist investor because it takes such an active role in steering the course of the companies that it invests in. The specific direction that the investors wanted to push AOL toward was in a merger with Yahoo. Starboard was similarly putting pressure on Yahoo because it had stake in Yahoo as well. Spoiler alert, by the way, those two companies, AOL and Yahoo, would eventually be brought together, but not through this method. At the time, Armstrong would refer to the proposed merger as, quote, a dead notion, end quote. And then we get to 2015. And another really big change for AOL. Armstrong had been leading the company since 2009. His leadership was marked by both success in the form of guiding AOL to year-over-year revenue gains and some failures like the mess with Patch. But overall, 
AOL is in much better shape as a standalone company adapting to the realities of a broadband-connected internet than it had been when it was under the umbrella of Time Warner. In 2015, another company would step up to change things, and that company was Verizon. Verizon is a telecommunications conglomerate that traces its history back to AT&T. In the 1980s, the United States Justice Department ordered AT&T to break up the system of companies that had been under the Bell system. It's named after the Bell Telephone Company, and ultimately it's named after Alexander Graham Bell. AT&T was originally one of the companies under the American Bell Telephone Company, but then AT&T would go on to acquire the assets of its parent company and become the new parent company back in 1899. By the 1980s, the U.S. government had determined that the Bell system was a monopoly and ordered AT&T to break up the system so that there would be multiple competing companies operating the telephone service. Bell Atlantic was one of those that was broken up in this process. Bell Atlantic itself consists of four smaller telephone companies, or it did at the time, and eventually Bell Atlantic would become Verizon in 2000. That was when Bell Atlantic merged with another telecommunications company called GTE Corporation, and thus Verizon was born. Verizon acquired AOL for $4.4 billion in cash, a huge amount of money, but a pittance compared to the $160 billion deal that had taken place between AOL and Time Warner. Analysts said that Verizon's motivation was likely fueled by a slowing mobile market. At the time of the acquisition, Verizon was sitting at number 15 on the Fortune 500 list. Today, it's down to 16. Still, still not bad. But success depended heavily on growing the mobile market, and as more people buy mobile phones, the demand was, in, was decreasing, right? There are fewer people who don't have a mobile phone. Grabbing AOL, which was making real progress in online advertising, must have looked like a pretty sweet deal. But we've seen that before in this series, haven't we? Where companies have thought, no, we'll just get this other company that's already got its hand in in this industry, and then we can just profit. So what actually happened? Well, I'll tell you, but first let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. Tim Armstrong stayed in the driver's seat at AOL upon the Verizon acquisition. The company continued to focus on ad revenues, and it also launched a new service called One. One represented a unification of AOL's various ad products, including the ones the company had acquired by buying other companies, kind of making a, a central one-stop shop for advertisers. According to a TechCrunch piece on the product, the idea was that advertisers could use that tool to optimize campaigns across all of AOL's capabilities, which would include television, video, web-based ads. So you would come up to AOL and say, I want to run an advertising campaign about this product. Here's my budget. How can we make the best use of this so that we reach the most people? While searching for stories about AOL that were centered around this particular time of its history, one thing that jumped out at me was how many media outlets posted surprised takes on the fact that in 2015, AOL still had 2.1 million customers using dial-up service. You know, I'd said back in 2007 that was still having, you know, millions of people. 2015, still 2.1 million people using dial-up. 
Now, the surprise that the media reacted with strikes me as a little elitist. Actually, it strikes me as a lot elitist because it can be very easy for people like me, someone who lives in a large city or at least a decent-sized city, to forget that broadband penetration isn't uniform throughout the United States. There are still some areas that have very limited broadband support. And then not everyone is using the internet to watch episodes of Stranger Things or download the latest Red Dead Redemption game. Some people, uh, maybe they're older, maybe they have less experience with technology. AOL represents something they're comfortable using. They know how it works. They're not ready to move over to something else. So it's no surprise that there's still customers there. Uh, that there are 2 million, maybe that's surprising. But that was the case at least in 2015. The last time I saw a report on this was dated 2017, and the number had not changed. It still, it still said 2.1 million subscribers. So I don't know if that those 2017 reports were based on the exact same information that just hadn't been updated. In 2016, Verizon announced that it intended to acquire Yahoo, more specifically, Yahoo's internet assets, because the company is another big, big company, and some of Yahoo was tied up in investments with Alibaba. That part of Yahoo would be renamed Altbaba. So that part would not be picked up by Verizon. Verizon would just pick up the internet part of Yahoo's business. So now that desire to bring AOL and Yahoo together could finally come true. It wasn't through a merger directly between AOL and Yahoo. It was from a third company buying both of those properties. Now, the deal was for $4.48 billion to buy Yahoo. It was not a smooth process. Yahoo was a troubled company. Uh, It had been struggling to remain relevant over the past several years. And just months after Verizon and Yahoo had announced this upcoming deal, uh, this, this planned acquisition, Yahoo revealed that it had been the target of hackers and that a serious data breach, I'm talking one of the biggest data breaches of all time had taken place, affecting potentially 500 million people, half a billion people. The deal somehow stayed in place even in the wake of that announcement. It did get marked down because originally the deal was for $4.8 billion. They marked off about $350 million off of it. Upon the completion of the deal, a year later, Marissa Meyer, who was the CEO of Yahoo, she had come over from Google, resigned. Tim Armstrong would head up this combined company of AOL and Yahoo. Tim Armstrong would head up the combined company of AOL and Yahoo, and that combined company got a new name. It was called, and still is, Oath, O-A-T-H, a name that a lot of people met with, Neh. Anyway, the deal would also mean layoffs. Frequently, that does happen with mergers. The Washington Post reported that 2,000 former Yahoo or AOL employees would lose their jobs as these two businesses merged and the various departments were reorganized. And while the Yahoo acquisition was slowly developing before it had become finalized, AOL was still buying stuff. In 2016, the company purchased a content company called Riot, R-Y-O-T. That's a company that makes specialty films and documentaries for formats like VR or 360-degree film. 
In 2017, Tim Armstrong would hire a guy named K. Guru Gaurapan as the chief operating officer of Oath. Uh, He had been a global managing director with Alibaba. And while Armstrong didn't know it, he had also just hired his own replacement. According to various news stories, Armstrong had wanted to convince Verizon to spin off Oath as its own independent company, sort of the same way that Time Warner had spun off AOL a decade earlier. Then Armstrong would be heading up a really big content and advertising company with powerful assets, free to pursue its own businesses, not tied down to Verizon. But Verizon's leadership never really saw eye to eye on that vision. Lowell McAdams, who was the CEO of Verizon, announced in June of 2018 that he was going to step down. He led the company precisely for seven years. He stepped down on his seventh anniversary of taking the CEO position over at Verizon. So he steps down. His replacement was the guy who had been the CTO of Verizon, Hans Vestberg. Hans Vestberg had previously been the CEO of Ericsson. Well, After the transition, Vestberg decides to reorganize Oath, and Armstrong saw much of his responsibilities stripped away and handed over to Gorapin. And so, in September 2018, Armstrong announces he's resigning from Oath, and Gorapin then took the helm of Oath. He becomes the new CEO of the company. Thus, Armstrong had hired his own replacement. Now, the day that I record this, which is in December 2018, Oath is in the news again. Verizon filed papers with the Security Exchange Commission, the SEC, to – this is something that all publicly traded companies have to do. They have to file paperwork with the SEC to let them know about things like how much money they make. It's a transparency thing. So in this filing, Verizon has – written off $4.6 billion pre-tax. And that write-off is the result of Verizon buying Yahoo and AOL and then realizing that apparently these companies are actually worth less than what Verizon had paid for them. Essentially, they overpaid for those companies and they need to write off $4.6 billion because of the, the shortfall here. So once again, we get this very familiar story. It seems like history really is repeating itself. Vestberg doesn't seem terribly interested in the media side of Verizon's business. And by that, I mean Oath. So right now, it looks a little grim in the short term for people who work at Oath. Verizon is offering up a voluntary separation program. That's a nice way of saying, we need we need some of you guys to leave. We need a lot of you guys to leave. And we're offering up a package. If you take this package, you're going to get some compensation. You're going to get some severance pay. uh, And we don't have to have the pain of going through a list and deciding who we're going to lay off. So this is to try and take as many of those people out of the decision-making process of who to lay off as possible. But if they don't meet the goal for the number of people who depart, they will start laying off employees. The estimate right now is that the company expects to shed 10,400 employees total. This is all of Verizon, not necessarily just from Oath, by June 2019. 
As for Oath specifically, in that filing, Verizon said that the company, quote, has experienced increased competitive and market pressures throughout 2018 that have resulted in lower than expected revenues and earnings. These pressures are expected to continue and have resulted in a loss of market positioning to our competitors in the digital advertising business, end quote. So in other words, what it's sort of saying is, hey, those guys who were in charge earlier, you know, not us, but those other guys who used to lead the company, they thought we were going to do way better than what we actually are doing right now. But they weren't able to anticipate the market conditions or how well our competitors were going to do. But we, you know, the new guys who are in charge now, we have to deal with the mess that they left. And we also understand it's going to be really tough over the next few years. That's essentially what the filing says. And it's a warning this that says, don't expect us to turn this around overnight. So what is going to happen next for Oath, or specifically to AOL? That's something of an open question as I record this episode. And maybe by the time you hear it, it will have been answered. It may be that Verizon will decide to spin off the company after all, because Vesberg doesn't really seem all that interested in developing a media company. It's not likely to go away, because the company still does generate revenue. It's not like it's hemorrhaging money left and right. It's just not the transformative property that Verizon was hoping it would be when it made the acquisition, which again, I think you could argue convincingly would be the full history of AOL. Barron's, by the way, has an article that cites Wells Fargo analyst Jennifer Fritsche, and she wrote that, quote, the hype of Oath has been over for some time. While we believed in the whiteboard concept of Oath, offering a new digital advertiser of choice beyond Google and Facebook, we think this has been an uphill fight for Verizon without a significant amount of scale and content ownership, end quote. And that's the story of AOL so far. From a startup in the 1980s that provided a bulletin board-like service to Commodore 64 users, all the way up to a cog in an enormous multi-billion dollar global corporate machine that's giving off a little smoke at the moment. The upcoming departures and layoffs will likely mean things will continue to change for folks over at AOL. But hopefully, those who are working in the content side will continue to have gainful employment. As someone who creates stuff for the internet, podcasts, the occasional article, I feel a lot of empathy for people who work at other companies that go through these big changes. I've gone through changes like that multiple times myself. I've been very fortunate so far, but you can't take that for granted. Those things can really shake things up. And it, it's a huge impact on the lives of real people. So I hope it turns out for the best for everybody concerned. That is the conclusion of the AOL story so far. America Online probably has several years left in its history. I sure hope it does. Hope it doesn't just go away. So I'll probably have to do an update, uh, a follow-up episode at some point in the future. But this was a really fascinating story to look into. Very complicated from a business perspective, but interesting and, and connected to so many other companies, whether directly through mergers and acquisitions or through competition. If you guys have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, maybe it's a technology, maybe it's another company story you would like to hear about, maybe there's someone I should interview, why not let me know? 
send me an email. The email address for the show is techstuffathowstuffworks.com. Or head on over to techstuffpodcast.com. That's our website. You're going to find other ways to contact me through there, like on social media. you also find information about the show. You'll see a link to our merchandise page over at tpublic.com slash techstuff. That's where you can buy all sorts of goodies with the Tech Stuff logo and various designs on it. Every purchase you make goes to help the show, and we appreciate it. And I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 